Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Hi, this is Michael Waits with ATP Stories. I'm talking to Rie Yamamoto. Rie is the co-founder and CEO of Ventub. We'll get to what that is in a second. And head of global strategy at Ale. Sounds a lot like a beer company to me, but I'm guessing it's not. Anyway, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I am super. So you want to do this again? <laughs> sure. So where are you from originally? Um, I'm originally from uh, Japan, from but, but Shiba, where, Japan. But where were you born though? Uh, I was born in London. Okay. So but if you born in London, does it work like the U.S. does? So just by mere fact of being born there, you are a U.K. citizen? Um, I believe not. I think okay. back then the rule was if you're born there and if your parents have the green card, or maybe not, it's not called the green card there, but if they have permanent residence when you're born there, then you get a citizenship. Okay. It's interesting. So you're just a Japanese citizen through and through. I'm a Japanese British American citizen. Oh, wow. So, you do... my parents actually, so my parents actually were permanent residents when I was born there ah, okay. and they decided to give me the citizenship but i think japan doesn't allow dual or triple so i won't tell this, anybody this, this, yeah, you won't, you won't. Won't. <laughs> no one's listening that's why a lot of people are listening but no one's going to tell either <laughs> um but so then when you were how old did you move to the united states because you lived in connecticut as well i did yeah i moved there when i was nine and were because you, of my because mm-hmm. of your dad's work yeah when you got yes. there were you already an english speaker i was not no i was not so the, I find that actually really interesting. What was it like moving from Chiba, I presume going to just regular Japanese public school, yes. and then ending up in Greenwich as a nine-year-old? Um, you know, it was, I mean, I, it was actually, it was fine. It wasn't too difficult or anything because people are friendly, you know, Americans are friendly and they're, I think my classmates back then were very nice and I had to go to ESL and learn the language, but being nine, you're, you know, young enough to pick up the language. But I, it was a huge change because, um, Chiba, I mean, I was in a fairly rural area within Chiba and it wasn't right. the most international place and I had no, you know, Caucasian friends. I had no non-Japanese friends. Right. And my parents basically brought me to the middle of Greenwich, Connecticut, which is, not a, you know, it's a very, it's not a very diverse city. It's a very, it's very white. It's, I'll it's say it's white. very yeah. white, but it's, <laughs> it's also, white. but it's, so, a, it depends where you, if you were in old Greenwich as well, it's a much smaller town than Greenwich itself, but even Greenwich is, it's kind of on the edge of Fairfield County in Connecticut, not so close to New York, but not so far away, but definitely suburban, like lots of trees and grass. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a very beautiful place. Gorgeous. It's a very beautiful, nice town. Um, I ended up living there for about nine years until the end of high school. Um, and my parents being, you know, I mean, my dad was a banker and he brought me there because of his job, but he actually got a transfer back to Tokyo when I was in the middle of high school. And you just, and I get it. So you did, and you didn't leave, right? I didn't leave. And my, well, my parents left and my brother left and I was just like, I'm not going to leave. <laughs> <I'm not leaving. laughs> so, you brought me here. You lose. I'm staying. Exactly. And, and I think it was, it was something along the lines of my brother. It was the end of his middle school and he could actually, you know, enter a new school. Whereas I think I was a junior in high school yeah. and it's, you know, it's a tough transfer if you want to transfer at the end of your, um, junior year. So I decided to keep the house to myself Good with you. a dog. Good I had a dog. You. Um, so my dog and I lived together for about a year and I graduated high school. So just so, you, just so you know, I moved from Connecticut. So I moved from Trumbull Okay. when I was a junior as well. So I left after sophomore year, my junior year and senior year were spent in Philadelphia and even moving just from one state to another state was just uh-huh. jarring. I mean, if you know what high school is like, imagine moving to another high school. So for you moving oh, to another God, high school yeah. in another country, in another culture, in another language, it just would have been hard, like really hard. Exactly. And, you know, the idea of staying by myself sounded pretty good to me back then. So I kind of <laughs> took up on that offer and decided to, to stay put and let my parents go home. <laughs> but I think, yeah, and it's a great idea. And to be fair, it's a metaphor for the rest of your life in a sense, right? I mean, that level of independence for a young lady is really powerful and a really super experience in my oh, mind, thank right? You. No, but I think so. And to be fair, it must have been hard for your parents. Like, I wasn't there for the conversation, but I can imagine your parents <laughs> just looking at each other and going, Ari and I, <laughs> <laughs> among other things. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I think there were a lot of conversations back then. I don't remember the details, I'm but sure. you know, it was it all worked out. So here I am. <laughs> yeah, and could you and could you like so you went from Greenwich High School to Brown? Yes, mm-hmm. which could, was a huge change in you know in itself because how so? Brown and its community is nothing like Greenwich, Connecticut. Really. I guess it's way more, I guess it's way more diverse, right? I mean, Providence is Providence. We can laugh about that as much as we want, but Brown in and of itself is one of the best colleges in America. I mean, universities by far. And at least when I was a kid, it was one of those places where the same number of people applied to Brown that applied to Harvard, but it was like a third the size for the entering class. So it's much harder to get into back then. And I'm 20 something years older than you, so it's different, but still. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very good school and it's, you know, it has, it's, I think it's a very unique Ivy within the Ivies at least because it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's fairly small. Um, it's semi hipster in culture compared to the other ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was all, it was the most alternative of the Ivies for sure. It is. It is. Yeah. And we have, I, I, I actually applied because I love the curriculum. Um, they value your choice and independence. Um, there's actually no core curriculum. Wow. So you choose every single class that you want to take. Um, and you actually have the choice of um, not getting graded, which kind of sounds ridiculous. But there's you have the option of, you know, taking a class in a non-graded scale. So technically, you can take all the classes you want without being graded. And that's kind of how all the other schools think of us, but um, that's how much they value your independence and decision-making from college, which I think really helps when you're, you know, out there in the real world. I was going to say, you can, so you can joke as an 18 or 19 year old as an entering freshman and say, that means I'm never going to get any grades. And externally, (laughs) people can look at it and say, a bunch of slackers, or, or you can look at it more realistically and just say, you know, the real world doesn't grade between A and D. Exactly. Right. And, And and it prepares you. I love this. And I do think this is thematic for you. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. But like this independence and decision making, like it matters. It does. It does. And I think it was great because, you know, if you're, you're walking into, into a classroom and everyone is there because they chose to be in that class. Right. Right. You're not just taking, you know, Greek philosophy because you were told to, but you're actually in it because you chose to. So it kind of overall brought the level of engagement and and interest in the class up a lot. So I think it, for me, it really worked out and I had a great four years in, in Providence. Yeah. I mean, look, university, again, from my perspective, should be about learning, not about grading and about then learning how to learn, how to make decisions and how to be independent. And if that's what Brown teaches you, good for it. Right. But it yep. also, it also, like you didn't exactly underperform when you were there either. Uh, I, I, I would like to say that I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Refresh my memory what magna cum laude means. Uh, I don't really know what it means. I don't know either, it. but you know what I mean. Anyways. It means I didn't fail. It means I didn't fail. Yeah, it means your parents were proud. <laughs> Probably very good for you. But so how do you end up back in Japan? You live in Japan now, yeah? I do. I live in Tokyo now. I actually didn't go back to Tokyo um Right after college, I actually moved to San Francisco right after college. So I was there for a couple of years and then came back to Tokyo. So when you, you summer interned, though, at mm-hmm. both Morgan Stanley and at Goldman Sachs. Yes. So for me, and I worked at both of those places for a long time. I worked at Morgan Stanley for 10 years oh, and I wow. worked at Goldman for six years. So that was most of my career was actually at both of those places. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Yeah. And... Most of my career was in Tokyo. As a matter of fact, all of my career was in Tokyo. I worked in New York for two years at, at Morgan and then was transferred to Tokyo in 1990. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, so think about that. Um, <clears throat> and I didn't leave until the end of 2011. But I wonder why, like you interned there as opposed to going to San Francisco to intern. You interned in, yeah, in Hong Kong in, in what was it? Uh, yeah, in Roppongi Hills, I'm guessing, yeah? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you just didn't go to finance at all, though, when you were done? No, I didn't. So what changed? In other words, when you were in college, you said, I want to go to Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. But when you graduated, you said, I'm not doing that again. Well, wait, should I tell the real story? Of, yeah, of... I'm, really, I'm really curious. <laughs> well, well, this sounds terrible, but no, no, no. I, 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 I interned at those two places and I loved my time there. I loved the colleagues, the experience. But I think I knew that I wasn't going to go into finance when I went into those two from from the get go. And one of the reasons why I needed to 
not needed to, but I was looking into finance. One of the, you know, the starting reasons why I was looking at inter, uh, finance internships was because, um, maybe this goes back to the theme of independence that you mentioned, but, um, when I went to Brown, my parents didn't send me, um, stipends. So, so, I love it. well, they, they, they paid for, you know, obviously the tuition and I think, you know, the, the room expenses or whatever dorm, dorms and, and food, I think, but, yeah. You obviously need some stipends on top of that. And, you know, for some people, they get those sent in checks from their parents. Some people mm-hmm. don't actually receive anything. And I was one of the latter. So um, so I needed a job to to pay to go out or to, you know, to do anything. And but you're busy as a student. Right. I mean, you're studying. So instead of my, my strategy then was to not really stress myself too much during the school year, but to look for a very efficient way of, you know, just earning money during the summer, because that's when you have a lot of time. And I think due to my, uh, you know, after my short research, I thought finance, that's the way I'm going to pay for my stipends. Good for you. So I'm I serious. Did. I'm so, I'm so happy to hear that because it means you're a strategy. You have a strategy and you're thinking that's great again. So, so yes, I ended up, you know, doing the two internships and I ended up loving them, but I, 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 you know, for me, it wasn't a long-term thing. I I definitely wasn't there for 16 years like you were. I was there for six months and, and I decided to look for a job in my senior year. And I think I happened to end up at consulting because back then I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was looking very broad, but, um, I think, you know, consulting worked out for me because, um, having interned at finance, um, there are some commonalities in the type of work you do, but um, you you get to see a lot of different businesses, and you get to, and, and it was a multinational firm, and I wanted to work in both the U.S. and Japan, and just you know everything worked out. So I ended up not going to finance, but but yeah, that that was kind of the reason why I kind of went into it, and I guess ended up not working there. Yeah, I mean, Does I just that saw, answer your question? Yeah, perfectly. And I saw it on your LinkedIn and I just thought I have to ask why, but it makes perfect sense, right? <clears throat> I mean, I like you when I was at school, my, you know, my parents didn't send me any money either for stuff. Like I didn't even drink when I was in college because I just didn't have the money for it and I didn't have oh, the no. time. Yeah, no, I didn't have the money. And, I didn't have the time. And, and weren't you like very jealous of the people that just kept, kept getting checks? Nah, bank, no, every and, month? no, because, no, because, it's a really good question. As a matter of fact, I loved it because it made them weaker. Like you made, it did. And look, you outperformed, right? And you outperformed because you had a strategy. And when I said earlier that it's a metaphor for the rest of your life, you learned early on, even as a teenager, you said, you know what? I'm not going back to Chiba to finish high school. I don't care. I'm going to sit down with my parents and come up with a strategy and tell them why I'm staying in this house and I'm keeping my dog. And then over the summers, and maybe you didn't think about it that way, but over the summer you said, look, I need to earn some money so that during the year I can focus on the other thing so I'm not stressed out. And you went and paid, got got a job that paid you the most money, or at least that you thought you could do, and you did that. That's yeah. a strategy. And you'll just keep doing that for the rest of your life, and that is awesome. Thank you. Don't you think, though? I mean, yeah. you may not think about it in those terms, but from the outside, that's what it looks like to me. Yeah, I wonder if it was intentional, my parents' part, part, or if they were just being stingy. I guess I'll ask that next time I see them. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never admit it, but you'd be amazed. You'd be amazed like how strategic parents can be when you're actually a parent, but I won't go into that at all. Um, so what's the genesis of Event Hub? Because that's where you're the founder. You run that company. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Um, whew, that's a tough question. Um, so... Just as a background context, what Event Hub does is um, it it simply put allows um, event attendees to meet each other at exhibitions, events. I mean, when you go into an event, it's all about who you get to network with, who you get to meet, who you get to sell your products to, make new business relationships. Um, our product essentially helps you do that um, when you're attending an event or exhibition. Yeah. And Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. Oh, and the, the reason why I wanted to do this was there are several reasons why. One was just simply because, um, throughout my career, I have attended events. Well, I feel like people, everyone, you know, in their business career, um, one time or another does attend these events, but I was attending a lot of B2B events, exhibitions, and were, I was often getting frustrated by, you know, the fact that I, couldn't really meet people unless I awkwardly like tapped on their shoulder right. when I was at a networking event. And, and it like, seems Hi. weird. I do the same thing. You walk over and you're like, "Hi, my name is Michael," and, and they're like, "Who are you?" 
Yeah, exactly. And then you enter the conversation, and if that person just happens to be not the exact profile that you were, you know, looking to meet it's at the event, you just kind well. of it, exactly just have to you know be there for twenty minutes and then trying to find a segue out. So I just kind of felt that you know at networking events or exhibitions too, where it's all about exhibiting B two B leads, right? And the lack of technology at these events were kind of. I guess undermining our performances in meeting people, and at the same time, I've often attended events where you know they had the systems where you could meet others efficiently and effectively, and that really helped me. And I think that was very important for me because I often am in situations or jobs that、um, have to do with market entry or just entering a new you know new industry or new country where you don't really have any leads or connections, and it's all about You get to meet. So、um, I ended up, you know, I couldn't find a solution here in in Japan. I don't think there was one back then. So I decided to make it because I happened to know an engineer, and he was actually from the dating industry, which was pretty interesting because he used to make apps for dating. And there's a lot of commonality between you know meeting a potential partner and meeting a business partner. Yeah, so we I mean, kind it's of al- it's almost exactly the same, right? Except one of them is just is. less, and, and and frankly, actually, I was just going to say less stressful, but I think it's as stressful because again, yeah, yeah, do you want? Yeah. It well, <laughs> I guess it depends on who you are, but even so, that you still end up tapping somebody on the shoulder, and if their profile doesn't meet your expected profile, you do still have to walk away. And if it does meet your profile, then you have to convince them that you're actually appropriate for them to talk to as well. And both of those things are difficult to do, and technology should help disintermediate that. I think. Exactly.、Uh, yeah. So, how has that been going? What kind of events do you do you use? You know, that use your product. What's the growth been like? Like, are you involved in the startup world at all as well? Like, how has that gone? Um. So our our company is actually pretty new, and、um, just as a background context, we were we kind of have had a pivoting period. We used to make other products for events too. So this product in itself came out spring of this year. So we're just kicking it off, but we have so far been.、Um, Um, providing it to a lot of conferences, so we work with、uh, this week or next week. This week we're we're using it at TechCrunch here in Tokyo. So I guess that, I guess that's a startup event.、Um, <laughs> and uh, another one、uh, and exhibitions as well. You know the ones that have fifty thousand people come into a an exhibition hall. It's actually held in Yokohama this week as well. So、um, different events here and there, mostly in Japan. Although I've、um, a couple of times worked in events in Southeast Asia or in the U.S. as well. So we're just starting to kick it off and and trying to trying to enter the growth phase. But how do you? So how did you get TechCrunch to work with you? Was there nobody else in Japan that had an app? No. I, look, I've been to. I mean, I've been to Tech in Asia events. I've been to E27 Echelon events. I've been to a ton of events in Southeast Asia. And there's always somebody there that has some kind of application that allows me to meet other people and to, for people to sort of schedule events with me. Yes. But nothing so, in Japan. And is it in Japanese? Is that the differentiator, at least there? So,、um, yeah. To answer your question, there isn't one. So I've attended events in you know Southeast Asia and the U.S. primarily too. But as you mentioned, there are apps. And networking apps and programs. I think a lot of the things have become digital, have gone digital abroad.、Um, surprisingly, in Japan, that's actually not the case yet.、Um, everything is fairly paper-oriented, analog, and events are just starting to pick up event apps and networking solutions. Our company also provides、um, networking, not only the networking solution, but also event apps. Um, and we've been providing that to other conferences and exhibitions too, but it's actually a fairly new wave here in Japan. And because it's a B two B product, obviously there's you know customer support and everything included in the package. And I think you know for the Japanese events, it helps that we're a Japanese company and not a an American company that's 12 hours you know apart、um, in difference in time zone. So. So TechCrunch seems to be a gigantic coup. I mean, they basically invented, you know, Michael Arrington and his team of people basically invented the sort of tech blog space over ten、yep. years ago in the United States. Is this the Disrupt Conference that you're working at? Uh, it's not actually. It's called the TechCrunch Tokyo. Okay, maybe they just don't use the same brand there. But yeah, like, how、maybe. do you how do you get that? Like, how how would you prospect for that? How do you make the right connection there? And how do they in the end just agree to work with you? It's it's great, right? 
Yeah, so we've actually worked with, you know, other um, tech conferences like Slush Asia as well. I don't know if you um, are familiar with, I mean, you, you must be familiar with Slush. Sorry, that was a dumb question. No, it wasn't dumb. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think, um, first of all, they're very, I mean, these kinds of conferences are so supportive of new startups they and are, new aren't they? businesses coming out. So the fact that you're, you know, four months old doesn't really phase them off, which which was definitely um, helpful in, in having these conferences adopt. And I just, I you know, the, the Tokyo startup scene is, is is it's growing but it's still um it's nascent it really is in a yeah, way like it's interesting yeah so we, we're very you know fairly connected i have a lot of friends in the scene um it just yeah i just happened to know the people and i was chatting with them and they were saying that you know they're looking into new digital solutions in this space and there aren't many in tokyo so just the opportunity came up at the right time so where is this TechCrunch tokyo event taking place uh it's taking place in uh, Shibuya. Where? In, uh, Hikari-e. Got it. Okay. Yep. That's, that's the, um, not Dokomo. <laughs> They'll kill me for doing this. That's the KDI building. KDDI building, yeah? Is it? Yeah, it is. So KDDI okay, Ventures is in that building. It's right across, it's right across street from the station. That's interesting. Yes, well, is. the Hikari building is a beautiful building, relatively new. It's a great place for, um, for an event. How many people are going to be there? Um, about 2,000. And is this the biggest event that you guys will have handled if the product's only been around for four months? No, the biggest one that we're doing is 50,000 people. Where's that? That's, that is that the in, one in Chiba that you're talking about? No, this is the one in Yokohama. Yokohama, that's sorry, excuse me. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of events this week, but that's the biggest one um, that we're doing this week. And um, yeah, that's 50,000 people. Because it's, it's not a conference, it's an exhibition. What's the exhibition? Where, yeah, and, and it's, it's, um, it's an embedded technology exhibition happening in Yokohama. Wow, so that's even cooler. So it's tech for tech, right? That's actually really it's tech cool. Tech for tech, yeah. You seem really unstressed out for somebody who's going to have over fifty something thousand people using your platform in a few days. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, it's exciting, right? Because um, it's a lot of people being at the same venue, and you know, maybe without this new solution, they wouldn't have met, right? So it's it's forming new relationships. And I've, I've literally, you know, sat out at these conferences and exhibitions that, that are using our product. And I see people that are just like meeting each other because of this. And it's pretty cool. And they go grab drinks afterwards because of this, which is, which is pretty exciting. So, so it's stressful, but it's, you know, uh, it's definitely worth it. So can you walk me through the entire product, right? Because I think there's more than meets the eye here. And I just want to know exactly how it works. And so people can, people listening can actually understand how it works as well, right? So I go to a conference, or I go to an event like this, and again, the thing where there are 50,000 people in Yokohama, it's not even a conference per se, it's really an exhibition, right? Yeah. So I was at an exhibition in China. Huawei did this thing called Huawei Connect 2017 in Shanghai, and I was there in September. And mm-hmm. again, it was 20,000 people, so not 50, but it was impossible to meet people there. And maybe right. because it was all in Mandarin, I don't even remember if there was an app, and if there was, I didn't use it. So just tell me what I would be doing if I was at this exhibition in Yokohama, this this time. Yeah. So if you're, you know, if you're going there, then you, um, if you're registered for the event, which you hopefully are, if you're, you know, if you're joining the event, um, you would have gotten an email from the, uh, organizer of the event and, um, it says, you know, Hey, here's a way for you to browse through who's around and meet people. So you open the email, log in. It's a web-based application. It's also available on the app, but you would log in via browser. And if you log in, uh, you see, you know, a bunch of different people, exhibitors, attendees, speakers, whoever on the list. And it depends on who you're looking for. But if you're, I don't know, I guess when you go to an event, who do you generally look for? Yeah, I mean, this is going to sound really silly, but most people are actually looking for me. But the kind of people <laughs> that I look for are investable companies and other investors, right? So I'm trying to find really, really super powerful um, entrepreneurs, like I'm just Great. trying to find then, the best entrepreneurs, basically. Yeah. Then, then there's a, you know, there's a search function, um, as, as the list is probably like 50,000 people long. So you look for a CEO, um, or an entrepreneur. There's different tags, different keywords, you know, depending on the event. So you just browse through, look for the right people. Um, and if you find the person that you want to speak with, then you essentially look at their profile and then, click a few buttons and it gives you, you know, when and where you can meet that person and at which booth. So, um, 
we, we kind of customize the solution a little bit depending on the event. So it's hard to say, you know, how exactly it works out every yep. single time. But if it's a big event, then they generally have meeting booths, different time slots. And it essentially is a, you know, a efficient scheduler for you to book a bunch of meetings with different entrepreneurs. So hopefully with this tool, you're essentially at the meeting booth area and you have meetings booked every 25 minutes with different entrepreneurs and you can chat with them. Um, you can add them on Facebook or LinkedIn. I don't know, um, depending on which country you're in and, um, make new business relationships. So it's, it's, it's quite simple. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's too complex. It's kind of like using Tinder at an event, right? Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I sometimes use that phrase at meetings and it, it works well sometimes and it works, it doesn't work at <laughs> other times when I'm pitching to exhibition organizers. But, um, but it's, it's quite as simple as that. It's literally, you know, you're swiping through people and booking meetings with them. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is most people understand dating. So it's just a really easy way to explain things. You see people you like, you book a meeting with them. So this will help you manage your calendar and time slots as well. Yeah. At the event, mm -hmm. so it kind of takes over your calendaring when you're at an exhibition, when you're at an event, right? So, right. to the right. extent, and does it integrate with your other calendar? If you already have other meetings planned, it can connect to that, and then you don't dupe meetings that you may have already put into another system. Yes. Uh, well, other systems were actually um, rolling out that function now, but we you know want I mean? so to think it's like let's say yeah, I have yeah. something in. Gcal or Google Calendar, right? Does Google Calendar, yeah. Yeah, so it'll yeah. know that, so I don't have to move that in if I've already arranged the meeting with someone who's going to be there beforehand. I don't have to sort of do both of those things at the same time. They're just integrated so together? Or? Yes, so we're working on that right now. Awesome. It's <laughs> yeah. awesome. No, I'm, and I'm really curious about this, right? Because one of the other problems that I've seen at these big exhibitions and at the big conventions is, you know, I have a meeting scheduled with somebody and I just can't find them at the prescribed time. So I just right. wonder if it has GPS on it as well. And if it does, does it do location-based too? So I know people are supposed to be at a certain place, but do people then allow you to know that they're still in the cafe as opposed to at the meeting point? Yeah, so we don't have that yet, but that's a very valid point. I mean, we get that request a lot too. So hopefully, I mean, it's a very new product, so I would like to have all the functions you know, on it, but I also don't want to kill the engineering team. So that's that's on the list, definitely. I'm just curious <laughs> because some people are really, and I'm not, but some people don't want to give away their location information, but it's so helpful, right? Like it is, it is. The mapping and location stuff is so helpful, so... Yeah. I don't know. I've, I've actually not given out my location on apps too much either. Yeah, You're don't. talking about like latitude and stuff, right? Yeah, everything, right? So in some okay, cases, I yeah. really want people to know where I am. There's a big idea around giving away your location just, just in an app, just at a certain period of time, just so people can, that you've already arranged yeah. to meet, right? It would be mm -hmm. neat. And I don't know if it's possible, but it'd be really neat for me if an application would just say, okay, I have a meeting with DA at, you know, 1130 at this place, kind of let her know and let it be per send a notification when I arrive at that spot. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I think this is, I don't want to say it's a Japanese thing, but the big theme for us when we're making this product is, is there's the big question of how to make people, people comfortable with this yeah. product. Yeah. Because, and I'm sure you know, because you've lived in Japan, but you know, surprisingly, networking is, it's a big thing at events abroad, but it's, I would say the Japanese are a little bit shy, maybe compared to Americans, for example, and just walking up to a random person and, and saying, hey, I'm Mike or hey, I'm Rie, and just, you know, starting a conversation is not as common, I would say, in the Japanese society. No, 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 no not at all, actually. Not. And that's yeah. why, I, that's why I was asking those questions, because... You know, in Japan, most meetings are probably going to be prearranged, and the the concept of somebody, like you said, just using your words, right, walking over to you and tapping you on the shoulder and saying, "Hi, my name is Michael, and I'd like to talk to you about a, you know, a business collaboration because you do this and I do that, and it fits perfectly together." Really, it's just it's a non-starter in some cases because a normal Japanese person would just be like, "Who are you?" Yeah, and I and I think you know I think this is one of the reasons why I was intrigued and started this product because. Yeah. I'm Japanese, but I grew up abroad, right. and I've always grown up in areas or places where it's so normal to meet new people. Right. And you go to, you know, you go to dinner and you bring a friend along, and you make new friends all the time. And 
you know, if online dating was very common, but um, has has been common for for the longest time in the states, and Facebook came out a lot earlier than it, you know, became a huge thing here in Japan. And I think Americans um, have always been less, you know, reluctant to just walk up to people and say hi. Whereas when I came over to Japan and, and moved to Japan, um, that was definitely not the case. And I think I, a lot of my friends have been like, oh, you meet so many new people, you know. How, how do you meet so many new people? And it's just right. like you just go to an event and say hi. But that's a very difficult thing for, for many um, Japanese folks out there. So I kind right. of, I think part of the reason why I wanted to do this was because, was to make it more casual. And I think it's starting to happen because, you know, Facebook came about and online dating has become more common. And I think people are starting to get less and less reluctant to look up people and say hi digitally. And to actually book meetings with people that they don't know. Right. So I'm hoping that you know the wave is coming in in Tokyo, and it's going to be more and more not Tokyo, but you know all of Japan, and it's going to be more and more common to to meet people at events or exhibitions, and hopefully this will help them do so. So you've just brought up a really interesting point, and that is there is a big cultural difference between <laughs> the way events sort of morph in the United States and in the way they sort of are in Japan. I think so, yeah. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but I think it's interesting for me to mention that you and I have kind of lived opposite lives, right? So when I was, I grew up in the United States, mm-hmm. very sort of, you know, in a very sort of unique cultural environment, and I left the U.S. when I was 24 years old, so not much younger than you are today, and then moved to Japan. And I had right. to figure out all of those different sort of culture, cultural nuances about how to meet people, how to get along inside an office that had mostly Japanese people in it. And I had to learn the hard way by failing, you know, miserably, constantly, and just trying to understand, like, what am I doing wrong? But remember as well, I had the benefit because as a Caucasian man in Tokyo, the expectations were for me to mess everything up. <laughs> you understand though, so I got. You have the gaijin card, that's how we call them. I got, the I, got the, I got the gaijin discount. Is you got what the I used gaijin to call. discount. But, but but I still tried. But for you, it's reverse. It's much harder because not only is your name Japanese, but we've never met, but I'm presuming your appearances as well. And you're in Japan. So there's an expectation. There's a behavioral expectation that's cultural for you that's very different than what it was yes. for me. Uh-huh. Right. And that's easy for me to say, harder for you to sort of say. But that makes it fascinating. And in a way, you know, my perspective on this is slightly different than yours because everything I know about it, I had to learn. <laughs> the hard way, right. right? Right. And I always thought, and again, I'm not making product recommendations because I'm not that smart, but you know, Meishi Kokan is like still very important. It is, yeah. It's super important. And I always wondered like, because it still happens, you know, I was at the B-Dash thing in Kyoto a couple of years ago and people were still taking out business cards and I didn't have any. I just thought it was really interesting and I wonder if you could re- replicate that digitally. You know, like if I want to have a meeting with you, I send you my Meishi, and then you send me yours back. Now we've done that. Now we know each other. It's just really interesting to me. And if you're a foreigner, you can actually tell people in the app, like, you should probably scan your card, and when you want a meeting with somebody, send them your Meishi. It's just an interesting way to get around that, and it doesn't make it more casual, but it makes it more, like, integrated with whatever the real cultural experience is right, there. Right, it's, it's, it's seamless, right? It's, it's not too far from what they're already doing. Yeah, so it it removes that one layer of abstraction, right? Yeah. And I find yeah. technology is actually really powerful at doing that. Like I love this business, right? Particularly for Japan because like you said, even that part of the event business is still really nascent. And none of that type of stuff happens when I go to sort of the Tech in Asia event or the Echelon event in Singapore. You just kind of pick somebody, you pick a meeting with them and then you have to show up and meet them and I always feel a little, and, and I'm pretty outgoing, right? I think you can tell, but I always feel a little bit uncomfortable when I first meet somebody because they don't know what they're getting and I don't know what I'm getting. Right. But I think once you've exchanged business cards, you can do that. Look at it. I mean, that's one of the reasons why people do it, I think, is they look at it and just go, okay, you're the department head for the division lead, whatever it is that you are, and kind of puts everybody at ease. I, I don't know, but that business in and of itself is actually really important for events because you're right. Um, discovery of products, of people, of experiences at all levels is really key 
Uh-huh. And it's super key. That kind of discovery is really key at events. So I, I actually love that event hub style business. And there's so many things you can build around it, right? My whole investment thesis is that the best businesses are built on a platform. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right? And there's so many other things. Once you get, if you think about it, once you get everybody registered, even if you, and if you get their Meishi or business card as well, now you have a platform filled with data and there's so many other things you can do with that. And you have it all digitally as well. And you have it with their permission. Yep. Right. The other thing you know, too, and again, I'm probably speaking a little bit out of school, right? But let's say I go to the TechCrunch Tokyo event. Mm-hmm. I register with my email address. Yes. If I'm at the Tech in Asia event in Singapore, at the one in Jakarta, or if I'm at, or if I'm at TechCrunch Disrupt in Sweden, mm-hmm. you know. Because <laughs> if you're running both of those events, you know where I've been. Yeah. There's just a whole slew of things like this could be a gigantic business if you run it properly right it's a big idea yeah i mean it is a lot of information well i'm making myself sound like a stalker but it's it's a lot of you know it's a lot of valuable information and data that you can get from this um yeah i mean look by definition every business that exists online at some level is a data business right and if you you look at the food delivery business it took me a while to figure it out because that's a money losing business the unit economics for the food delivery business don't work i've done a ton of work on this and it, it never will work but if i deliver you steak right once a week mm-hmm. i kind of can guess what your income is and right. if i know where you live so think about it if you live in bridgeport it's different than living in, you know, Westport. Right. It just is. And without making a value judgment about what's better or worse, but there are just differences that are there. If I have that data, I can understand what to sell you, how to serve you, what you need, what you don't need, how you live, all that kind of stuff is real. And, you know, how big your family is, all that stuff is really interesting. So if you're running Event Hub, the amount of information that you get is really cool. And I think there's a real big business to be built around that as well. Yeah. And, you know, I think the organizers were definitely looking into that data, too, because before these solutions, I mean, they weren't getting that either. Right. I mean, they they were providing the space for people to meet and for people to form business relationships, but they actually didn't get any feedback on how that was. Right. Or who was there. They didn't know. Right. Like if I exactly if, if I bought a ticket, even if I bought it with my visa card, visa had all that information. So I paid whatever you want to say, whether it's $150 or $1,799, it didn't matter. All the event runner knew was that I was there. Right. And they didn't know who you were looking for, what your intention and, in, you know, attending the event was. But then with these solutions, they actually, for the first time, can take a look at it. So it's actually quite fascinating how the organizers react to the the tool because, you know, they, they get data for the first time and it's, it's, um, it's it's a very different experience for them too, you know, once they start implementing these tools. Right. So I used to wonder, and this is like four or five years ago, there's a very big, and I've been trying to think about it while we're on the phone, there's a ticketing business um, in Japan, an event ticketing business as well, whose name I don't remember, but they've been funded globally and they've done P-Tex. a- P-Tex. yeah. So yes. Yeah, I'm good friends with them. So what's the name of that lady who runs that business? I can't remember her name. Uh, Emmy, Emmy, yeah. So Emmy, yeah. So I, and and right. I should know because I know Emmy. I've she's come to Bangkok. I've had dinner with her. We've sat around and talked about business and strategy and stuff. Emmy's fabulous, actually. Um, I've actually never met her, but she's I amazing. know of her because I kind of know the yeah, the yeah. the Ptex team. They're great. They are great. But again, that Ptex business, you know, when you first look at it, you're like selling tickets to events. Who cares? But it's a much Bye. bigger business than that. And actually, if you Mm-hmm. You sort of integrate a tickets business with an event hub business. It's super powerful. I'll leave that to you guys to figure out how that works. But but Emmy's pretty amazing. Nakamura, I can't remember. Um, Takemura. 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 Thank I you. Think, yeah. 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 She actually worked at um, McKinsey too. I think. She did. Yeah. yeah. She's quite smart. <laughs> Is that the right thing to say? She's super intelligent. Um, and really enjoyed meeting her, her and talking to her as well. Um, but yeah, I think you've. You're definitely at the beginning of building a really big business and the fact that you know how to go out and sell it as well. See, here's where you have to go back. And we talked about this a little bit offline. <laughs> um, we uh-huh. should talk about it online too. Here's where you have to go, here's where you have to go back to like <laughs> uh, mom and dad and just go, hey, that thing in Greenwich, you know, that thing now I speak English. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, back then I didn't. It was just a pain. I mean, you know, when you're, you're, pain, when you're yes. putting a kid through a new language, it's just a pain. And... Major, and did they make you go to Japanese school too? 
And once the satellite, you know, reaches the altitude that it's supposed to reach, then it's whizzing around the globe uh, at a certain speed. And if you tell me that you want, I don't know, 20 shooting stars over Fukuoka, then um, the satellite essentially releases 20 balls out of it and they fall into the atmosphere and they burn as shooting stars. So we're essentially recreating the process by which natural shooting stars happen just, you know, artificially. Wow. And how old is that? <laughs> how old is that company or how long has that been around? Um, this company has been around since 2011. It was founded by our CT, uh, CEO, um, Lena, and uh, she she has a very unique background. She has a PhD in astronomy, but she was actually working at Goldman Sachs as well. And um, she, I think she, you know, founded it because she loved watching shooting stars and thought, why not create them artificially? So started doing that. Um, now, what is it? Seven years ago. Um, six years ago and yeah it's 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 actually not done yet it's coming out next year which is just pretty exciting but yeah it's been around for quite a long time and how does that get funded uh angel investors wow so six years ago or somewhere in the middle between six years ago and today she's been able to convince people to fund fund a satellite that creates well, mm -hmm, yeah. meteor yes. showers Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's really awesome. It's it's it's, a, it's definitely a very unique unique startup. Um, you know, there's a lot of new space companies out there um in Japan as well. It's not anywhere as big of a market as it is in the US, but it's 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 steadily growing and, you know, even amongst all of the space startups or space ventures out there, I think space entertainment is a very new field. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a very strange, but exciting, uh, business. Right. So one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it and now you'll see where the segue is, is because <laughs> it, you're like, why? you're like, yeah, I better, <laughs> I better cause so far I don't get it. Um, but couldn't you use this at an event? Like at the end of the exhibition, you have like a meteor, you would freak yeah. people out. You know what I mean? So you do the whole event hub thing. And at the end, you see how many people the are still there rain down the meteor shower, at, the, yeah. at the event, at the end of the event. And I'm not kidding at the event, at the end of the event, it would be so differentiating, right? It could just be something else that you sell in tandem with the event hub process. And that is at the end of the event, there's a meteor shower at night because most of these things end at seven or eight o'clock at night. So I don't know how that works, but particularly if you're in Yokohama, right, which is depending on where the event is in Yokohama, where the exhibition hall is. But even if it's at, you know, big site in Tokyo near the train station, you could have people look up to the sky or go outside or even if there's, you know, outdoor something and just have that happen. It would be awesome because people would really remember the event. Mm -hmm, and they'd mm -hmm. remember the people that organized it as well. Like that would be insanely amazing because that gets me back to whether Event Hub itself has been funded, if you're looking for funding and how that works, right? How big is your, that's why I wanted to talk about it, right? I really want to find out like how you guys fund yourselves. Has it been bootstrapped up until now? How does it's it actually have been bootstrapped up until now. And what's the plan? Um, the plan is to, because our product is fairly new, it's to, um, we're still kind of, you know, um, completing it and testing it out at different events and improving it. But then after that, once we get the fit, the product market fit to a certain level, then we do plan on, um, hopefully growing and with funding, but we haven't started that process yet, unfortunately. Hmm. And you have that process down. In other words, you know what you want to do, you know where you want to fund and how you want to fund, or you're still not sure about how that's going to work yet? Still not sure. I think I do have an idea, but still, you know, um, thinking about it and not sure yet. So we'll start hopefully sometime soon, but um, it's it's been bootstrapped entirely so far. Okay. And, and yeah. I'm guessing just for people that are listening that may potentially be interested in funding you the when you do an event that has sorry an exhibition that has 50,000 people at I'm presuming there's some revenue associated with that and some of the other stuff that you're doing as well yeah yeah so we um we essentially um charge the event organizers a certain amount of money depending on how big the event is so they can use our product. Um, if it's a very small event, then we only charge up to a certain amount. But then the larger it gets, uh, we charge based on the number of logins or the number of users. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also actually later on want to create a method for event organizers to monetize on this product. 
So essentially, you know, because through this product, they can provide menus to exhibitors or sponsors to reach out to the attendees on a certain level. Um, that's different from how they traditionally reach out to the attendees. So, you know, hopefully down the road, we're not just charging the organizer, but we're providing them with a venue to create new revenue through the event by providing this extra option to exhibitors and sponsors. Right. I mean, that was one of the other things that was always curious to me is I wanted to find a specific startup or I wanted to find somebody's booth and it was almost impossible for me to find out where it was just because of the way they were organized, right? right? Like, Mm -hmm. do you remember your first time in Roppongi Hills? Like, is that... Just, I do, yeah. Did, I do. That building makes no sense. I remember the first few times I was there, and I just thought, "Where am I?" There's like four entrances. I don't know why they have that, but do why? But it's also like the guy who designed it. I think was you know inebriated at design <laughs> at design phase, and only because it's just that downstairs part where you're just trying to find out how to. I just was hard for me to understand, and I always felt like events, particularly tech startup events, were like that too. Like, okay, where is Startup Alley? Where can I find the, yes. you know, the e-commerce sites and where can I find the company that does it? It was almost impossible. And I think people give up a lot, but if you could put that on the app too, not just the map, right? Cause that's hard, but just a way to interact with that booth and how to find people that definitely is a service that people would pay for too. And I think that's part of what you're saying. Yep, definitely. Well, I, I love this product. Thank you. You're welcome. Next time you're in a, uh, do you ever attend events in Japan? Sure. Sure. Do, right? sure. Yeah. Well, so hopefully next time you're attending a conference, we'll have that there and um, you can meet new people yeah. that way. So we're, you know, we're starting small with uh, tech conferences and exhibitions, but um, hopefully we'll enter the growth phase soon and um, it'll be around everywhere. And I think the more it gets used, the smarter it gets, right? Because Absolutely. if you, yeah, if you log in and if, if it knows you and who you're meeting at other events, then hopefully that'll, just make the algorithms that much better. Awesome. So that's where we're trying to go. So what's the best way for people to reach you? If people have questions about Event Hub or if people have questions about Meteor Showers, what's the best way for people to reach you? Um, either email or LinkedIn. And what's your email? And my email is, I mean, I guess I have two because I have two teams, but uh, the one with um, the one for Event Hub is info at eventhub.jp awesome and the one at for the artificial media shower is info at star-ale.com super well this has been really interesting for me and I've learned a lot which is important for me so I really appreciate your time Mia thank you you too you've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com